0: Another edition of beat the closing number presented by the lines.com. You can follow us on X at the lines. U S you can follow Mo, my coast at Monawara two W's. You can follow me at Eli Herzog, breaking down NFL week 18 spreads and totals before we're joined by Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com senior college football writer to preview the national championship game between Michigan and Washington, two great semifinal games on Monday night. But before we get into it, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the Lions releases a new sports betting video on any market, including the NFL, like this one beat the closing number. Obviously, Matt, Stephen, and Adam do a great job on their NFL podcast, a part of the And we have our college football podcast too, even though we're doing a bit of a national title game preview. Brett and Kelly Ford do a fantastic job on the lines podcast network. you can also subscribe rate interview on Apple Spotify wherever you find your favorite podcast. But more importantly, we are 39 and 22 with spreads in total so far in the 2023 NFL season two and two last week. Mo how was your week 17? How was your podcast with Stephen on Monday since I've been out of town the last couple of weeks?
1: It was good. And then both were good. I, I think we had, uh, we just fired from the hip. Uh, had to <laughs> just uh, ad lib basically the whole thing. And I think it was entertaining and went well. So uh, I, I think that's appropriate in week 18, man. Week 18 is weird. So it's less of like, okay, this is what I'm looking at this week with this matchup. And more of like, okay, everyone thinks this team is not trying. So let's just fire them pretty much. And
0: just to back that up a little bit, I wrote about this in my NFL betting column over at thelines.com. Eliminated teams versus teams that are aiming for a win over the final two weeks of the regular season to get a playoff berth or improve their postseason positioning, the eliminated teams have gone 99, 64, and 4 against the number since 1990. So that's a 60.7% clip. Pretty solid, right? And again, it backs up your point about motivation versus the pressure on teams when you're trying to get a playoff berth.
1: Yeah, I mean, is there times where people are just cancun and just mailing in? Yeah, of course. But for the most part, you know, these guys are playing for their next contract. They're they're going out there playing hard, right? Uh, I think if anything, honestly, if anything, you might be seeing less motivation on like the preparation end of things, coaching staffs, maybe more vanilla game plan, stuff like that here and there with, you know, lame duck staffs, whatever it might be. But, but sometimes the players play really extra hard in those spots because they just want to send those guys out with a win when everyone knows the writing is on the wall. So uh, you can't, you can't always bank on that.
0: Right. You're playing for contracts too. You're playing for your next team if you're not under contract. So a lot still on the line, even if it's not a playoff spot. And, to that point, if there are inflated point spreads, and we'll get into those here in a bit, there could be some inflated player props, too. I know one Twitter user was posting a few of them, like DeAndre Hopkins needs 49 yards, for instance, to get a million-dollar bonus, seven catches for 250000 But that's going to be baked into a lot of these player prop markets, whether it's receiving yard totals or whatever it may be. And I don't see a lot of player props posted yet at most of the legal sportsbooks. So just keep that in mind when you're searching for player incentive stuff. A lot of it, most of it, if not all of it, is already priced into the betting market. But, Mo, let's get into our NFL Week 18 bets without further ado. And if you've yet to bet over at BetMGM Sportsbook... And you want to tail or fade our bets, whichever you prefer, you can do so at BetMGM. Use promo code THE LINES, one word, to get up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If your first bet loses, that's the LINES, one word. Remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money. And like I mentioned, some of those inflated numbers that we could be seeing or did see earlier in the week, the Steelers at the Ravens, the Jags at Titans, Bucks at Panthers, Packers. We'll talk about Green Bay against Chicago and Seattle against Arizona. I know, Mo, you don't have a bet, at least for the podcast, on Seahawks, Cardinals, but you either may or already do have one in our Discord channel. And the link is over for that in the lines.com. If you want to get all of our week 18 bets in real time, you can subscribe in the roll section over in the lines Discord. But let's start off with Sunday Night Football, Mo, as I break down Bills at Dolphins, Buffalo. Holding steady as around a three-point road favorite in the de facto AFC East title game, total of 49 and a half. I bet the under 50 for this game on Wednesday, which you can find in our Discord channel. I know Mo you and Steven maybe got a little bit better of a number. I think Steven got 50 and a half towards the under. So Buffalo ranks number three in EPA per play since the bye, or overall this season, but since the bye week, when you look at this passing offense and Josh Allen in particular, who's dealing with a neck injury so that can hinder his efficiency or his overall performance. Buffalo's passing offense since the bye week in week 13, 23rd in passing success rate and 15th in dropback EPA per play. So there's kind of this idea out there, presumption that the Bills offense has greatly improved under Joe Brady and the rushing attack has when you look at how they've relied on their ground game juxtaposed to What they did previous to Joe Brady as their offensive coordinator, I think it's dipped nearly seven percentage points in terms of the first half pass rate versus under their old offensive coordinator versus what it is right now. Think 53% in terms of their first half passing percentage under Joe Brady versus the way it was under Ken Dorsey. And when you think about running the football, you think about grinding clock. The Bills rank 22nd. In the NFL, an adjusted pace, which obviously plays towards the under. Miami ranks 27th in adjusted pace. So they try to go even slower. And I know typically Miami's offense is known for explosive plays with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Waddle could miss this game. We'll see if he practices on Thursday or Friday. Tua did practice in full on Wednesday, but he's dealing with that shoulder injury. Got banged up late against Baltimore. Mostert also hurt. And then Armstead, one of the best left tackles in the NFL, also banged up, and he missed practice on Wednesday. So it could be a big day for the Dolphins' quote-unquote backup running back in H, HM, the rookie, against a Bill's run defense. That's allowing the 11th most EPA per carry, correlating to the under two. And keep in mind, Bill's passing defense has been borderline elite since they got Rasul Douglas from Green Bay. Number two in EPA per dropback allowed. Since their bye week. So I really like the under when it comes to the potential tempo on both sides for both offenses and the injuries, especially with both quarterbacks. But what number do you like it down to, I guess? I would bet it down to 49.
1: Yeah, I think maybe you could even go a little lower to like 48 and a half here. Um, I did fire the under, like you said. Uh, This Bills offense, it's just been stuck in the mud. I mean, they haven't looked good passing the ball since they played the Eagles six weeks ago. So, and we know what the Eagles passing defense has been doing uh, recently. (laughs) So that's not exactly a spot where (laughs) you're very impressed with a big game, I guess is what I'm getting at. So I I don't know if Stefan Diggs has like hit a wall or what's going on there, but he hasn't had a big game in like multiple months. I, I just don't see this being an exciting offense unless he gets going again. I mean, uh, they, this team looks like the Chiefs at this point, pretty much. Like winning with defense, grinding clock, getting first downs. Like, this is not a 50 total team at this point. Um, and the Dolphins, you know, they are about average stopping the run, and they do have the number one pressure rate. So they're going to provide some resistance here. Uh, this is just basically Vic Fangio to me working his magic. I was never that impressed with the defensive personnel here, but it does seem to be working. I guess the question here in this game is just what do the Dolphins have left personnel wise? How can they get um pressure against the Bills or is that just gone with no more Bradley Chubb, no more uh Jalen Phillips? Like they're just losing all their pass rushers. So I'm a little bit concerned about the injuries. Xavier Howard I don't think matters too much. I mean he's pretty much washed at this point, I think. So <clears throat> wouldn't be too worried about that, but Man, I just, on the other side, we've also seen Miami, I mean, how many times versus opponents with a pulse, this offense just looks pretty ordinary, again last week, um, and now, like you said, maybe without Jalen Waddle, you said, but I I would be surprised if he played, I I mean, seemed like he's going to be missing some time, so... Yeah, Buffalo, I think Steven pointed out, number one in rushing rate past three weeks, and it's by a mile. Uh, Both teams, even honestly, on the whole season, they're both above the median in rushing percentage. So, uh, yeah, I really like this under. I was very surprised to see a number north of 50 here. I think this is just like... This is the number we would have seen in September when these offenses were throwing deep all the time, rolling, nice weather. I mean, should still be good conditions, obviously, but... I just don't think it fits where these teams are playing right now.
0: Yeah, we saw them combine for nearly 70 points. And you mentioned your Chiefs. All I'm going to say is, I'm sorry for what you have to deal with, with Patrick Mahomes. Finally, the Chiefs are undergoing some issues offensively. And maybe Travis Kelsey retires. We'll see. And goes off into the sunset with Taylor Swift. But on to another AFC game. Jags at Titans. Jacksonville down to... A three and a half, four point road favorite. It's down from where it was earlier in the week at five and a half. We mentioned some of these inflated lines, at least on um, Sunday night, Monday. This was certainly one of them. Total of 39 and a half, 40. Mo, I know which way you're looking. So explain why you like the Home Underdog.
1: Yeah, this is a weird one because, like, when we talked about this this morning and I said I wanted to talk about it, the line was five and a half. So <laughs> I think it got hammered this morning. It's down to like three and a half. Four, depending on where you're looking. I still think it's playable even after the steam. Honestly, anything better than three, I think is fine, but it's starting to get a little bit thinner for sure. Um, <clears throat> just a really high motivation spot for the Titans, man. I mean, people just want to believe that this is just a dead team playing a live team, but this Titans team, they know the Jags ended their season last year in a extremely, you know, highly charged game there. And, uh, a close game, you know, they, they've had this game circled for months. They don't care that they're out of it. And you know, the public is just loves to smash the other side of these games. But I am not convinced that the Jaguars are, I don't I think like, so I tried to fade the Jags last week. And I, I think maybe the fact that they were able to come out and just like blank the Panthers is creating like kind of a false sense of you know, security—I guess—is not the right word, but a false sense that the Jaguars are just like fine, and I still don't think they are. Um, they still it's can't inflation. run the ball. Yeah, they still can't run the ball. I mean, they this team hasn't been able to run the ball all year. Uh, even last week, you know, EtN rips off that long touchdown. Outside of that one, they had 2.7 yards per tent from their running backs. And th- this is not just some okay. Well, you can take away the best play they had, and of course, it's going to look different. But this is this is how they've looked all year running the ball. Like they cannot block. And, uh, that means it's all on this passing offense. And, and when was the last time this passing offense looked good? You know, similar to what I was saying about the bills, it's been a long time. I I was checking back. I think it's been basically since the Bengals game early December, that was the last time they had a nice, like really good, efficient game. That wasn't basically the product of, you know, some garbage time, which is pretty much when they were scoring on the Browns, um, Only thing here is that Christian Kirk did get activated off IR, but it's still like his first week being eligible. And I I think for the most part, we've seen players that do get activated don't play. So I'm still expecting him to be an underdog to play. But that being said, obviously, this is a spot where they would push it if it's close. So we'll see how that shakes out. But with Kirk and with Zay back practicing limited, maybe this is going to be fine again. I'm still skeptical. Once again, I mean, Zay we saw him before it took multiple weeks of practices before he returned from his last injury. And the guy throwing on the ball isn't exactly the healthiest himself. You know, obviously he missed last week, but multiple injuries, shoulder injury, ankle injury. I, I feel very unlikely. He's a hundred percent in this game. And I-, I just really like the Titans, but it's definitely starting to get where it's not as exciting. I thought five and a half was crazy. Um, I would still bet this now, though, and uh, I am going to take some fours. I think today,
0: right? There are still fours available, three and a half four. You can price shop over at thelines.com. You heard it in Mike Vrabel's press conference earlier in the week. There's going to be no shortage of motivation for Tennessee, even if it is his last game as the Titans' coach. You mentioned Lawrence, or at least Kirk and Zay Jones, limited in practice. Lawrence limited as well, but he's obviously going to be a full go and a ton of pressure on him, literally and figuratively, because like you hit on too, Jacksonville dead last since week 13 in rushing success rate. And you also brought up a really good point going back to the Panthers game and we'll get to Carolina in a second, but the Panthers didn't have a place kicker. From the get-go, Eddie Pinheiro was hurt in warm-ups and Carolina had a shot to get a field goal on their first or second offensive possession, which would have tied the game and kind of changed the narrative and the script of that game completely. I know Bryce Young struggled, but still something to keep in mind. Jack's secondary is getting healthier though. Andre Sisco and Tyson Campbell played the majority of the snaps last week, I believe. And Jacksonville top 12 in pressure rate against a very, very below average Tennessee offensive line. So if... Titans and Will Levis get into a negative game script that could be an issue. But let's move on to the aforementioned Carolina Panthers, Bucks at Carolina. Tampa Bay, four and a half point road favorite. It's down from where it was at least on Monday. I got it at, I got Carolina at six, and it did open at minus five and a half, total anywhere between 37 and 37 and a half. So another big motivational spot here, obviously for Tampa Bay with a postseason. Birth and an NFC South championship on the line, but Carolina, everything on the line for their interim coach, Chris Tabor, and they played well under Tabor too. In two of their last three games, they've covered, and there's no draft stock gained if the Panthers were to quote-unquote tank, which Cardinals maybe, if you look at that Seahawks-Cardinals game, Arizona could get better draft position if they lose outright, depending on whether you buy into that notion or not, but Carolina gains nothing. They're giving away their first-round pick the first overall pick to the Bears who will touch on and Bears-Packers in a bit. But Baker Mayfield limited in Thursday's practice with that rib injury. It seems like he can make all the throws. At least that's what's being reported. But I don't necessarily buy it. And this offensive line, too, outside of Tristan Wurst, their left tackle and one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL, 22nd in pass block win rate in the Panthers' blitz at the ninth highest clip in the league. And uh, Tampa Bay's skill position players, especially Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, if he's healthy, have an advantage against these Panthers cornerbacks, especially if J.C. Horn doesn't go. But lack of mobility and just lack of comfort for Mayfield outside of the pocket, especially against pressure, I think is going to be a major concern for the Bucs offense. We saw it, heck, last week against the Saints. And then on the flip side of the ball, the Bucs are still banged up. Carlton Davis has yet to clear concussion protocol. He missed that Saints game, blowout loss to New Orleans, even though the final score may have made it seem otherwise. If Zion McCollum is on the field for Carlton Davis at a similar clip as we saw last week against New Orleans, he was picked on a ton by Derek Carr. So a lot of concerns for the Bucs secondary if Davis is even limited. So I really like the Panthers in a spot where you're trying to deter your division rival from getting into the playoffs like the Bucs did to Carolina last year, and Tampa Bay's secondary overall. Keep in mind, when you exclude takeaways, the Bucs defense ranks 20th in the NFL and EPA per dropback allowed. So Bryce Young has been inconsistent, to say the least, like I had on against Jacksonville, but he picked apart Joe Barry's zone defense a couple weeks ago. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to have some semblance of success against Tampa Bay, especially if Davis is out and Shaq Barrett for that matter, the Bucs' best pass rusher. But what say you, Mo, on Bucks panthers
1: Yeah, I like the I like the Panthers too. Uh, I'm sad I didn't get six, but I, I still think it's playable at four and a half. This is another one that's getting close to where I'm getting pretty indifferent, though. I do still lean Buck, uh panthers rather, and I, I think I'll play it at four and a half. Um, yeah, you kind of touched on this with your Saints play last week, but it's a good time to fade the Bucks, basically, after they're, semi-fake four-game win streak. I mean, they got outplayed big by the Falcons. The Jags were an injury-riddled disaster. And then one of those games was against the Panthers at home. I mean, they they legitimately creamed Green Bay, but outside of that, it hasn't really been that impressive. And, and this is a spot where Bryce Young could look like a real NFL quarterback again. I mean, Tampa Bay doesn't uh, get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, 26th in pressure rate coming into last week. It just comes down to prepping for these Todd Bowles blitzes. If they can hold off those blitzes, then I think Bryce Young is going to be fine here. So it's just on the coaching staff basically to get ready and do that because Bryce Young, is his reaction to pressure is atrocious. I mean, he, he still thinks he can run away from guys like in college. It's like, dude, these guys are about three-tenths of a second faster in a 40-yard dash, bud. Like <laughs> You're not getting away from them anymore. Once they've like closed space to you, it's, it's basically over. You got to throw it away. But yeah, as long as he's not constantly under pressure, because that's pretty much what happened in that Jags game. Bye-bye to my three points of CLV. Um, <clears throat> other than that, like, I think, you know, he, he is going to be fine and he has been playing better. So yeah, I, I like the Panthers here. Like you said, there's just absolutely no motivation to tank here whatsoever.
0: And on to the final game, we mentioned a couple divisions or a few divisions on the line with the AFC East Buffalo. And Miami, Jacksonville trying to win the AFC South for consecutive or in consecutive years against the Titans. And then Bucks and Panthers, the NFC South title on the line. Huge game, too, with Saints and Falcons if Tampa Bay does lose outright, which I think there's a very, at least in terms of the applied probability where the market was at earlier in the week, we mentioned the spread. I thought the money line, too, it may seem obvious, but was inflated in that regard. I think Carolina is real shot to pull off the outright upset, but Now it's time to break down our final bet before we're joined by Adam Rittenberg to break down Michigan and Washington. Great analysis coming, but Bears and Packers, Green Bay holding steady as a three-point home favorite at Lambeau. It's down from three and a half. Pretty quick movement on that number, but still was an opener on Sunday night. Total of 44. Mo, this Bears defense has gotten a ton of love, and rightfully so, even if you exclude takeaways and it was the opposite for Tampa Bay when you look at their defensive production, when they don't force turnovers. But even when you exclude takeaways, the Bears ranked fourth in EPA per play since week nine, which correlates and goes back to when they got Montez Sweat ahead of the trade deadline. But I know the Bears fans and betters I mean, the market has loved Chicago since that juncture when they got Sweat. Justin Fields has been a topic of conversation because do the Bears go with a quarterback at number one overall or with one of their two first round picks, top 10 picks in the 2024 NFL Draft? But if you look at their offensive production and efficiency since week 11, 20th in EPA per play, 24th in success rate, 24th in yards per play, 20th in touchdown drive rate, and then Justin Fields individually, 31st since week 11 in yards per attempt at 6.3 yards per attempt with a 75.6% adjusted completion percentage. And the Packers are getting healthier defensively, mind you. So I get it. This number may be a little bit inflated just because the Packers are fighting for a playoff spot and the Bears are trying to get revenge after that week one blowout loss to Green Bay. But which side do you lean on here? Because I was initially... Think in Chicago, but I think the market, while the number may be a little bit inflated, I think the market also may be giving the Bears too much credit, especially on the offensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, I could see that for sure, especially with just I mean, people are excited about Fields. I think it's somewhat rightfully so. He's performing pretty well. Like, but I think at the end of the day, the offense has just been fine. But but fine is good when you have a very strong defense, right? Like you're still a good team at that point. And I mean, I still think this number is too high. I mean, it's crazy because the Bears have been, they've covered literally six straight weeks. And I think every single week since Fields came back, they've covered. So clearly the market is like not underestimating or not properly rating this team. I think that might finally be at an end, but I think they might be giving the Packers too much credit, man. I mean, the plus threes are starting to fade. You might have to hurry if you want that number. I feel like everything was minus 115 or higher other than I think maybe bet MGM. So that was like the last flat three I saw earlier. I'm a little bit surprised. I felt like people were going to like the Packers here because of the motivational angle, like you were saying. But maybe people are starting to learn their lesson. I mean, we saw this exact same game last year. Packers at home against divisional opponent. They get smacked by the Lions when... Nobody pretty much thought that they would, except I definitely love the Lions, so I'm back on it again here. Um, I remember that. Yeah, I mean, I just do. I think the Bears are just a solid team. I ranked them ahead of the Packers multiple weeks in a row now, including this one, I think, on my power ranking. I mean, I I think the Packers are coming off a win that people want to be excited about on national TV where Jordan Love played good. But, you know, now they're playing a real defense and a professional quarterback, which is a major difference from last week. I mean, not saying anything bad about the Vikes' defense. They've been very good, but definitely not a professional quarterback that they faced. Um, And then, it just a lot of it, this is kind of similar to the Jags game in the sense of a lot could hinge on these injuries to the receivers. Who is going to come back? Who is going to play? You have Jaden Reed, who has probably been overall the best weapon of any sort that the Packers have this year. I mean, Aaron Jones was a ghost for a lot of the season. He's been just, I mean, his stuff after the catch, and even like in the running game, when they work him in on the sweep stuff, has been just outstanding. I'm skeptical he's going to play after he left the last game injured. He, I believe, did get a limited practice in. And then you have Christian Watson, I think the same, but... Yeah, I I don't, I'm a little skeptical. He's going to play too. And and we saw last time when he, he, dude, he struggled with injuries the entire season. But then on the other side, you have Jalen Johnson. Uh, I don't think he's going to play, um, just because, you know, it's a dead season, obviously for the bears and he's, he doesn't, he's not going to want to push it when he, he, he wants his next contract. Like he's already put in a great season. He doesn't need to go out there and prove anything. I don't expect him to go, but. So if the Packers receivers go and Johnson doesn't, this could kind of look a little bit ugly. But you still have a Chicago rushing offense that's very, very strong against a Packers defense that has just been atrocious at all levels, basically, this season. I still think this line shouldn't be three. I think it should be two, two and a half. So I still think a little bit of value on the Bears. And this line,
0: just in terms of the number itself, is kind of similar to me. The way I look at at least per my model with Falcons and Saints, because I make that around Saints minus two ish, a little above two and a half. I make Packers a little lower around 2.2, 2.3 home favorites. So when you take that into account, there's no real value for me, at least in backing Chicago. I get all of your points make a ton of sense. I just can't get to the window because of the number itself. But Also, with the Bears' schedule, and you touched on this with their rushing attack, if they get into a negative game script, though, like you look at this stretch since week nine, Saints, Panthers, Lions, Vikings, bye week, Lions, Browns, Cardinals, Falcons, all of those games were positive scripts, or at least situation neutral. Falcons last week, they missed two field goals. Then the turnovers start to pile up for Atlanta's offense. And speaking of the Falcons, by the way, I do want to wrap with this, at least in terms of our game breakdowns. Taylor Heineke dealing with the ankle injury and Saints also trying to get revenge on top of the fact they're trying to sneak into the playoffs, whether it's through the NFC South title, if the Bucs lose or a wild card spot, because they got screwed in that first game when Brad Allen, who screwed over the Lions against the Cowboys with the Taylor Decker two-point conversion, missed an obvious Pass interference call that should have gone against Atlanta against Alvin Kamara, who is on a route. So we'll see if Kamara plays, but Saints, Panthers, money line parlay, or even Falcons, money, Panthers, money line parlay is an interesting option if you like anyone but the Bucs to win that division. So therefore, Atlanta or New Orleans. Any thoughts? reason to bet a money line nfc south money line parlay or am i crazy
1: i like the falcons too actually so i'm with you that the line should be south of three uh i was very surprised there was three and three and a half on the board earlier in the week that seems crazy those are gone now I, I still think three is fine for the falcons though i don't view this team as much different than the saints uh like you like you basically suggested with your two point you know whatever line uh And and this team has just been a yo-yo team. Same as the Saints. And Steven and I discussed that. But especially the Saints, I think, when you look at... Basically, every time they had a good performance this week, they came out and just took a dump on the field the next week. I mean, it was like every single time this year. Like You just can't count on any consistency from that team. So uh, I do think the Falcons are going to make a game of this. And yeah, they're obviously still... Uh, having their own hopes to win the division as well. So ton of motivation on both sides, but I just don't see a lot of difference between those two teams. But with that said, you have to keep in mind, Heineke, I would, if I had to guess,
0: I would assume he plays. But if he doesn't, then you have Desmond Ritter, who is a turnover machine, and then some. And then the other variable for me, do the Falcons quit on Arthur Smith? I know you're fighting for a playoff spot, so on the surface, you wouldn't expect them to. A lot of pride for these players on Yamada also should be healthier than he was going back to last week or the last couple of weeks, improves the Falcons defensive front. Then again, both of these defenses are probably fraudulent overall when you consider that they face the two weakest schedules in the NFL. One of the worst, if not the worst division in football. I'm not going to bet this game three and a half if I could have snagged that with Atlanta. Probably would have been a bet for me, but stay away from me at this number. Now it's time to be joined by the great Adam Rittenberg. At ESPN Rittenberg, senior college football writer for ESPN. Also a host at Sirius XM College Sports Radio. Breaking down the national championship, Michigan and Washington on Monday night. The Wolverines, a four and a half point favorite in that one. But Adam, how's it been after covering two of the best, arguably, at least in the limited college football playoff that we've had over the last six or so years. Those were two fantastic games on Monday night.
2: Yeah, they were Eli. I mean, really the last two sets of semifinals have been compelling in different ways. Uh, Last year you had higher scoring games with Michigan and TCU. And then certainly the Ohio state Georgia game may have been the, the best of the recent bunch, but both those games in different ways on Monday night were outstanding. Two great finishes, um, you know, Michigan obviously coming back to force overtime and then, you know, Washington really outplayed Texas, but then found itself having to make, you know, kind of a red zone stand there at the end to secure victory. So, um, yeah, two, two semifinals that didn't disappoint and hopefully we'll get the same thing in the national title game with Michigan and Washington.
1: Yeah, speaking of Washington, uh, obviously getting a lot of mileage out of their deep passing game. So just wanted to hop into the analysis here and see what you thought about that matchup because I was really impressed with Michigan's DBs. Uh, Every time Bama tried to take a deep shot, basically running step for step with these receivers. So uh, how do you see that matchup playing out with uh, Michael Penix after his huge game and, and these Washington receivers who really do a lot of their damage down the field?
2: Yeah, I think this is the best receiving core in the country collectively when you when they're healthy. Uh, Roma Dunze uh, is the number one, but then you have Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan. McMillan was out for a chunk of the season, but both of those guys would be number one receivers on a lot of teams, and so um, I, I think it's going to be a real challenge for Michigan to contain them. I thought that if Texas couldn't affect Michael Penix with their defensive line and their pass rush, that he would be able to attack a vulnerable texas secondary and he was able to do that now to your point michigan is is better in the back end um they they, they have a number of guys who are playing at a higher level you know today i i did uh, mvps for every top 25 team and mike saner still was my mvp pick for michigan he you know, leads the team with five intersection five interceptions six pass breakups um you know, two forced fumbles but uh, you know a number of guys are playing well in the back end rod moore has had some big moments will johnson is an elite talent there. Um, you know, there's others. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be a bigger, probably a harder uh, deal for Michael Penix to, you know, attack as easily as he did against Texas. But Michigan also hasn't necessarily seen a receiving core all year that's as talented as Washington. So Ohio State would be the closest thing, and they did a pretty good job against that group.
0: Yeah, and speaking of the explosive passing plays that Washington had on Monday night against the Longhorns, do you think there's any... Reality to the notion that the artificial turf at NRG Stadium could impact the amount of explosive plays we see on both sides for Michigan's rushing attack, maybe a little bit less, but for Washington in particular in the passing game.
2: Well, yeah, it's a game where there's there's really no effect to the conditions. So there's no, you know, cold weather or inclement weather or a wet field. Those those things can obviously hurt a team that relies so heavily on the passing game and on its offense. And so, um, you know, certainly that favors Washington to a degree, but Michigan's played two games in a row now with the Rose bowl and then the big 10 championship game that really haven't been affected at all by the conditions. So, um, you know, they're, they're used to this as well. Uh, They are very, very talented and well coached on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can, again, affect Michael Penix and ultimately, forced some mistakes from him because that's what Texas really didn't do. They weren't able to get him on the ground. They weren't able to intercept any passes. Uh, they, they just, there weren't even very many ill-advised throws. So, you know, when, when he is not you – know, he, he, he came to Washington in large part, guys, because of the offensive line and their offensive structure and, you know, really was not hit at all last year. And this year it's been a little bit of a mixed, and he's dealt with some injuries as well. Uh, but he is healthy and performing at a high level. And so it's really incumbent upon Michigan to find a way to get to him and disrupt that passing game. Because I don't care how good you are in the back end, if if Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan are all running free, um, you know, for a whole game, they're gonna they're gonna be able to make their plays down the field.
1: So f- flipping to the other side of the ball, um, you have a record-setting running back, obviously Blake Corum, uh, with Michigan. Um, facing off against a Washington defense that it seemed like allowed a lot of chunk rushing plays to Texas, like multiple eight yard plus runs, even though I didn't even watch like that whole game, but just the parts I watched seemed like they were ripping off a lot of long runs. Um, On the other hand, like obviously (laughs) Michigan's offense did look stuck in the mud for a lot of that Bama game. And, And I don't know. Do you just, do you think like there's something systemic about Michigan in these like college football playoff games against tougher competition outside of the big 10, because the big 10 plays defense though. So I was like really surprised how much they struggled at times against Bama. And what do you basically expect from the Michigan offense?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I couldn't hear the full question, but I, I think you were talking about, you know, the, the difficulty of Michigan to sort of translate its success to the college football playoff on offense. And you know, there have been times where, um, you know, not, not so much maybe last year, against TCU, which is just a wild game with, you know, pick sixes and it was back and forth, and Michigan's defense really played poorly, I thought. Um, it wasn't really the offense's issue, but both against Georgia and then for a good chunk in the Alabama game, um, yeah, I mean Michigan's offense went, completely went away in the third quarter. And so that's going to be hard against a Washington team that I think has a higher ceiling offensively and at quarterback than does Alabama. Now, they did a great job against Jalen Miller, as you mentioned, only five yards per completion, didn't attack downfield like, like we're used to. I mean, the long pass was 29 yards, so Isaiah Bond, and, and no other player had a, a completion longer than 13 yards. That's a really good template if they're able to um, replicate it. But I, I do think Michigan's going to have to uh, make downfield plays on offense to win this game, um, and that hasn't really been their forte, even though they were able to create a few explosives in the um, in the in the Rose Bowl, certainly the touchdown to Tyler Morris, thirty-eight yard touchdown. Blake Corum and Roman Wilson also had plays over twenty-five yards. But I think they're going to need a few of those against this Washington team, just because of how <clears throat> deep and explosive they are on offense.
0: Yeah, and all the points that Michigan left on the board. You alluded to it with the TCU game last year, where that was turnover variance. Wolverines obviously had a ton of special teams variance against Alabama, so. Maybe we see variants get wiped off or at least return in a positive direction for the Wolverines offensively or on special teams on Monday night. But obviously, Adam, you don't bet, but the people would love a pick from you. Maybe you think it's a Michigan blowout. Maybe you think Washington keeps this game close or it's a lower scoring game. What's the expectation for you on the scoreboard?
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be a really tight game. Uh, Again, two teams that haven't been on the national championship stage, at least in this format, Um, and uh, I I think both teams want to control the clock, so that's one thing that's interesting is it could be a low-possession type game, so you're going to have to be really efficient when you have the opportunity to score points. Um, I've gone back and forth about who's going to win. I mean, my my lean is Michigan, just because they have a little bit more experience, but you know, the way that Michael Penix performed against uh, Texas and the confidence that Washington's playing with, coupled with the fact that Michigan really hasn't seen too many offenses like that all year, um, you know, I could certainly make the case for Washington. And even though Jim Harbaugh is is maybe a more accomplished coach on the big stage, Kalen DeBoer at Washington does not lose big games. He's undefeated against ranked opponents. He's won national championships at the NAIA level. And so he's got a really good ability to get his teams as prepared as possible to win a game like this. So really wouldn't be surprised if it goes either way, Uh slightly maybe towards Michigan, but um, Washington's really defied a lot of the odds, most of the season and would, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, really wouldn't surprise me if they have another upset to win a national championship.
1: All right. So just one more thing uh, we wanted to check in with you uh, sure. just cause you're so plugged in to the college football landscape uh, and not just on the field. <laughs> so what, if anything, do you think is going to happen to Michigan in the long term regarding penalties or even like and or a coaching change with Jim Harbaugh? Does he try to make another leap to the NFL?
2: Sure. Well, they've they've received one of two um, uh, notice of um notice of allegations rather uh, from the NCAA. So they still have to receive that second notice and ultimately go through the infractions process on both cases. My belief is that penalties would be centered around Jim Harbaugh and the coaches, not so much the team for, for, uh, for those you know, sets of, of issues. The, the recruiting violations during COVID uh, it is not really a team penalty. I think it's something that could certainly come down. We already have three game suspension for Jim Harbaugh that was self-imposed. There could be more uh, coming. I think most people believe that Harbaugh would begin the 2024 season suspended if he's still at Michigan. So that's something to keep in mind. And then as far as the NFL, um, I think the opportunity is as good as it's ever been for Harbaugh to return to the NFL. You only need one team to say yes. I think there's some really good fits, whether it's the chargers, whether it's the uh, the Raiders, um, you know, maybe some of the other teams that, 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 that come open. Uh, I think he would be a guy that given his track record, both at college and the NFL would come in with, with true credibility as he, as he comes in the door. So, um, you know, it's, it's always hard to handicap and he's a different guy and, and an NFL team is going to have to be open to him and, and his, his quirks. But I, I just don't think that there are more qualified candidates for these NFL openings than Jim Harbaugh. So especially coming off a potential national championship at Michigan.
1: All right. That was Adam Rittenberg, senior college football writer for ESPN and Sirius XM college sports host. Thanks a lot, Adam.
0: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. The great Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com joining us to handicap the national championship game. Seemed like a slight lean towards Washington. I know we didn't touch on this from the beginning, Mo, but I have to go back to our Week 17 podcast because you said you had, quote-unquote, a heap on Michigan. So you had to feel a little sweaty in the second half, but at least you came out on top, right?
1: Definitely wasn't expecting to scoop up my Michigan minus three-and-a-half play. I can tell you that much.
0: I'm glad you did for your happiness and your the sake of your wallet. But any last words, Mo, before we get out of here, if you want to curse out Brad Allen or any other official on the NFL Week 18 slate?
1: I mean, he did both of us a favor, didn't he? I mean, you have Cowboys division. I have Cowboys to win the Super Bowl. Uh, so <laughs> that helped our EV quite a bit, especially yours, obviously. Yours a lot more than mine. I mean, mine's still you know a bit of a dart but you know i did it i did it with a free bet so whatever I, it seems fine 10 to 1 I, I just felt like i just felt like the cowboys can definitely be anybody in the nfc other than the 49ers and you know it's one game so who knows what can happen i don't view that as like the 49ers are going to be like minus seven and a half or anything. So it's definitely going to be within reason for the Cowboys to win that game. If indeed it does happen. So with 10 to one, if they were to beat the 49ers, I think we would see them even money at worst, maybe slight underdogs to the Ravens, but anyone else comes out of the AFC, they'll probably be favored. So uh, it's, it's a decent bet. I think at least it felt like that when I made it, but now it's just like they immediately lost a couple games, I think, or at least that Miami game. But I was just trying to buy low, but I guess I could have bought even lower.
0: (laughs) And you, speaking of buying low, you have your long shot Bills future at 30 to one. They could, believe it or not, they could miss the playoffs. I'm sure you've gone through all the scenarios in your head if they lose. And I think Pittsburgh wins against Baltimore. And I mentioned that spread earlier. Steelers are a four point favorite, three and a half, four point favorite against the Ravens on Saturday, or they could win the division and push Miami into a wild card spot, which is hard to believe if you go back to earlier in the season when the Dolphins were seemingly a runaway to win the AFC East. My future, though, looking pretty good. Ravens 25 to 1, already clinching the number one overall seed in the AFC and resting Lamar Jackson, the MVP, I also would like to add, Mo, for all your Lamar Jackson slander throughout the season. But, any official last words before we say goodbye to our listeners and viewers?
1: I'll never respect Lamar Jackson the same way I'll never respect Kawhi Leonard. They're both quitters. That's what they are. <laughs> that
0: is the definition of Mo sports slash betting takes. You can follow Mo on X at Mo Duara with two W's. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich. You can follow the lines at the Lions U.S. And remember to check out. Our Discord channel, the link is over at thelines.com at the top right-hand corner to get all of our bets for Week 18. You could also head over to BetMGM Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with BetMGM, one of the best sports books around, not only can you press shop their odds over at thelines.com, but if you aren't a part of BetMGM just yet, a user... You can get promo code, the lines, one word for up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If your first bet loses, remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money. Also head over to play.thelines.com to participate in our free national championship game and NFL week 18 contest to win Amazon gift cards. So for Mo, myself, Eli Herskovich, thanks for watching and listening to the NFL regular season finale edition. I'll beat the closing number so long, everybody, and good luck on your bets.